Well, we're taking the summertime to walk through the book of Psalms, which was the original songbook of Israel. And the Psalms are amazingly good at putting words to the emotions that we experience, um, whether it's emotion of, uh, of fear, like Pastor Ted talked about last week, uh, an emotion of uh, depression and, and dryness, like Pastor John talked about two weeks ago, or, or happier things like, like joy or gratitude. The Psalms, they, they, they connect with us and they affirm the emotions that we have. We're calling this series Look Up because even though the Psalms start with our emotions, they never leave us there. They always pull us out of ourselves and they direct our attention upward toward God. So today, we're going to look at an emotion that's really an interesting one. Pro- you probably never thought of this as uh, an emotion that humans experience, uh, but I believe it's something that all of us, uh, us feel. It is the deep longing that we have to be led by someone who is strong and good and wise and truly worth following. Um, I think that's something every human being feels. Um, did you guys realize that there is a presidential election coming up next year? <laughs> I know they don't talk about it on the news or social media or anything, but I've heard it might happen. Um, have you seen any of the events put on, either by President Trump or one of the Democratic contenders? Um, the frenzy, the devotion, the religious-like um, excitement at those events? Um, it's really amazing to see. Have you read any of the social media comments of people supporting the candidate they think they should win? Uh, there is a level of devotion that almost seems worship-like sometimes, and it's been like that all through history in all different cultures all across the world. People seem to crave someone really worth following. Some of you might be sitting here saying, eh, you know, not me. I'm not into politics. That's just not my thing. But this, it's not a thing that's limited to politics. Um, We look to the CEO of our company. We look to um, the leader of our, the superintendent of our school district, the principal of our school. Some people look to entertainment leaders, pop culture leaders, um, sports figures. There's something in us that just wants someone that's just worth following, that we can count on and rely on. The people of ancient Israel definitely longed for someone worth following. And this psalm, Psalm 72, is is actually a psalm that's a prayer for the king of Israel to be that kind of leader, to be a leader who's worth following. Most likely this was written by King David toward the end of his life after he had passed on the crown to his son Solomon. So it's a prayer for Solomon's kingship. If you let God speak to you through this psalm, I believe that you're going to see something about your own longing for this kind of leadership in your life, maybe some of the ways that you've tried to fulfill that longing and and what all of that means for you. So let's read the scripture, Psalm 72. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. 
May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. And this is the word of the Lord. So based on on this psalm, I want to talk about two things today. I want to talk about the king that we long for, and I want to talk about the king that we're made for. The king that we long for, and the king that we made for. So first, the king that we long for. So in this psalm, uh, David is praying for his son Solomon to be a great king. And when you look at the specific things that David prays for his son, you're hearing not just the desires of David for his son, but I think in many ways you're hearing the longing that all of us have for those who lead us. I see three main things that David prays for. First, justice. Justice. He starts the prayer in verse 1. Endow the king with your justice, O God. Major concept in the Old Testament. Uh, The Hebrew word for justice is the word mishpat. Mishpat, and it's a word that means to, to judge people, or treat people fairly, to not show favoritism. Um, this is a big thing in Western culture. We've got this ancient symbol uh, that we call Lady Justice, right? You've seen this before. She's holding a balance or a scale in one hand. She's holding a sword in the other hand, right? Because sometimes, you know, judgment, punishment is necessary. And what does Lady Justice have on her face? A blindfold, because justice should be blind, It should be blind to whether the people standing in front of you are rich or poor. It should be blind to the socioeconomic level that they have, to the amount of connections or cultural influence. Shouldn't consider, should be blind to all of those things. Um, Usually it's used in a court system, but it really applies in any kind of leadership. A just leader treats people fairly and impartially. You might have heard this story just last year, there was a superior court judge right down in Monmouth County. And he was presented with a case of a 16-year-old who had raped a young woman while she was very drunk and made a video out of it. This judge refused to, judge, to try this young man as an adult, and part of his reasoning was this, quote, this young man comes from a good family who put him into an excellent school. And when people heard that, they were rightly outraged because it's the opposite of what? Justice. So if he had come from a, from a broken family, if he had been part of an inner city poor school, should he have been treated any differently? Of course not. And by the way, I don't know if you follow the news, but last Wednesday that judge was relieved of all of his duties. 
which seems like justice. So justice means treating everyone fairly and impartially. But when you see this concept in the Hebrew scriptures, it seems like there's a certain kind of person that God is specifically concerned about their justice. Um, See if you hear the common thread in some of these verses I'm going to reread from our psalm. Verse 2, may he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. Verse 4, may he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. Verses 12 to 14, for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He'll take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He'll rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. When it comes to justice, what kind of person is God specifically concerned about? The needy, the poor, the weaker members of society. And it comes out so often in Scripture. In his book, really wonderful book called Generous Justice. Tim Keller says this, over and over again in the Old Testament, mishpat, there's our our word for justice, describes taking up the care and the cause of widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor, those who have been called the quartet of the vulnerable. And he says in the book that today we could expand that group to include the refugee, the migrant worker, the homeless, many single parents, and many elderly people. And then he says this, any neglect shown to the needs of the members of this quartet is not in the Bible called merely a lack of mercy or a lack of charity, but a violation of justice or mishpat. God loves and defends those with the least economic and social power, and so should we. So over and over again in the Hebrew scriptures, God says that his people, especially his leaders, should be just. Deep down, don't we want our leaders to be fair and just? You know, a couple of years ago when we saw the economically poor people of Flint, Michigan having unsafe drinking water and we saw the government drag their feet to do anything about it and fix it, um, it bothered us deeply because it didn't seem like justice. Much more recently when we saw uh, in the news there was a wealthy man named Jeffrey Epstein who for years lured young girls to his a penthouse apartment in New York City to have his way with them sexually. And then we saw him being held accountable. And if you saw on the news last week, his request to spend his time waiting for trial in his posh New York apartment was denied by the judge. And we look at that and we say, thank you for justice. Thank you for not being swayed by his wealth or his connections. It's the way that a leader should treat people fairly, especially paying attention to the needs of the weak. So as David thinks about the future reign of his son Solomon, he says, Lord, make him a king who rules with justice. The second thing he prays for is flourishing. Flourishing. Verse 3, may the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. So that word translated prosperity is the Hebrew word shalom. And it's such a rich word, most often translated peace, sometimes prosperity. It's hard to pin it down with just one word, but it includes the idea of peace, prosperity, flourishing, um, health, wholeness, like everything's working together the way that it should. In verse 6, it says, may he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. Is that not a great image today? What would it feel like to you if you walked outside after church today with your ice cream 
and all of a sudden this light rain started to fall. It's not going to happen, but, but how would this feel? And if the rain immediately cut through the humidity and it was this cool rain that was just falling down, under, wouldn't that just be amazing that happened? It's refreshing. It makes the crops grow. It makes our lawns green. And as David thinks about his son, the kind of king he wants his son to be, he says, Lord, make him the kind of leader who affects people the way rain affects the earth. Man, if you're a leader of any kind, wouldn't it be awesome if your people looked at you like that? If your people thought about you and they said, man, when, he co- when my boss comes into the room, when she leads a meeting, it's like everything just works well. Things flourish. I mean, when he's, when he's leading, um, it makes work a, a, an enjoyable place to be. It's productive. It's like a refreshing rain. I think for a lot of us, the people that we lead would look at us and say, yeah, when he leads, it's kind of like a drought. Like nothing happens, nothing grows under his leadership. Or when she leads, it's like a tropical storm. You know, it's like anger and beating us down and micromanaging and intimidating and bullying. But man, the kind of leadership that's like a rain that falls on the earth, that's the kind of leader I want to be. It's the kind of leader I want to follow. In the world of, I was thinking of examples of how this has looked in our world, and the one I thought of was in the world of law enforcement. You know, there's a particular approach to policing that I think is a great example of shalom. They call it community policing. And they talked about it a lot in Dallas, but it spread to other cities. It's an approach to policing where the same officers get assigned to the same neighborhoods day after day. And they walk the streets, and they make friends with the people, they form relationships, they get to know the needs of the community. And in the process of doing that, trust is built up, relational capital is built up, and, and there's general agreement that community policing works That in those neighborhoods, there's a greater degree of safety, there's less crime. It's just a happier place to live and work and have a family. It's a great example of shalom or flourishing. And I'm grateful for the law enforcement leaders who lead in that. So David prays for his son and he says, Lord, make him a king who causes his people and all around him to flourish. Here's the third thing he prays for. Dominion. Dominion. To have dominion means that you have power and authority over a whole bunch of people. And this one's going to stretch us a little bit, okay? So look at verse 8. May he rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. And so, in other words, Lord, give my son a large territory to rule. Make him such an effective leader that he's able to govern a large amount of, of, of land. Okay, makes sense. Look at verse 10. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. All right, now I'm getting a little nervous. Um, David is praying that his son, the king of Israel, will be served by all the other nations. And by the way, we skipped verse 9 that says, may all kings come and lick the dust in front of him. When you look at what happened during Solomon's reign, this is not a bad description of what actually happened. Solomon was considered, if not the greatest, one of the greatest kings of his time. Uh, And in fact, uh, David prays here that the king of Sheba would come and bring tribute. Well, close, the queen of Sheba actually made a royal visit and presented gifts to him, pretty much like his dad prayed for. So in general, to an ancient ear, prayers for dominion sounded normal and good. We want, yeah, we want our king to pretty much conquer the whole world. Um, today, we hear this and we go, ooh, 
I don't think we're supposed to think like that anymore, are we? Seems almost a little Vladimir Putin-esque, right? To like world domination. Well, if that doesn't stretch you enough, look at verse 5. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. All right, wait. Is David actually praying that his son, Solomon, will reign eternally? Like, forever? I know fathers have high hopes for their kids. Seems just a little over the top, right? And maybe you go, well, Pastor Dave, you're being too literal. It's figurative language. You know, he's kind of, he's talking poetically. Maybe. Um, Or maybe there's something else going on here. For centuries, both Jewish scholars and Christian scholars have looked at Psalm 72, and they've said, yeah, th- this is a psalm of a, someone praying for the king of Israel, but we think there's more going on here. And when we begin to see the more that's going on here, um, we begin to understand why this psalm is so relevant for our lives today. Um, see, ultimately, Psalm 72 is really talking about the king that we are made for. Second point. Let me repeat something I said earlier. Deep down, all of us yearn for the kind of leader who is good and who is strong and who's faithful and who we can follow. Here's the problem. Leaders have this annoying habit of disappointing us. Have you ever noticed that? And when that happens, it can be devastating. How many of you here can think of a time in your life when you really admired Lance Armstrong, the bicycle rider? Anybody? I'm putting my hand up. I mean, elite athlete, right? He won the Tour de France, what, seven times? But it was more than that. He was, he was a cancer survivor, and he won the Tour de France a couple times after cancer. And he was inspirational, and he wrote the book. It's not about the bike. It's about so much more. People admired him. Not so much anymore. How many people here at one time in your life, you really kind of liked and admired Bill Cosby? Absolutely, right? I mean, not only as a brilliant comedian and a great actor, right, and the jello pudding guy, but also, I mean, he was a guy who just spoke for, up for education, and he, was, and he was an inspirational person. Like, that's the kind of role model I think I could follow. Not so much anymore. I'll make it very personal. There was, there was a pastor named Bill Hybels who led one of the most influential churches in the world. Um, prolific writer, speaker, I learned a lot personally. I learned a lot from him over the years. And then last year, he too was excused from his position of leadership because of inappropriate behavior toward women. And I have to say, when that happened, it just, it it shook me. It rocked me. Leaders have this terrible habit of disappointing us. You want to hear something really sad? You're thinking, you've depressed us enough already, Pastor Dave. (laughs) Keep going. You're on a roll. This is the last sad thing I'll say. Solomon himself, the guy who this psalm was written about, that his father David was praying for, when all was said and done, had a pretty disappointing reign as king of Israel. I mean, in some ways, on the surface, this prayer was answered in his life, right? I mean, he did rule with justice in a lot of ways, especially at the beginning of his reign. He had a lot of wisdom to rule wisely and and justly. Um, He did when he ruled, there was a lot of flourishing. There was a lot of shalom. Uh, Israel was, was a thriving nation under his leadership. And definitely dominion. They were a superpower at the time when Solomon ruled. But at the same time, there was increasing spiritual compromise as Solomon's reign went on. He married a whole bunch of, 
I mean, that was the mistake to begin with, marrying a whole bunch of women, but a whole bunch of women who worshiped pagan gods, and he brought their religion right into to Israel. And he became very arrogant. He became very stockpiled wealth. He stockpiled weapons, which God had told him to do neither. And he became very arrogant. So the very guy that this psalm was written for at the end of the day didn't do so well. He was a disappointment. Leaders have this habit of disappointing us. And you say, so what does that mean? Does that mean leaders shouldn't try to live up to what's being talked about in Psalm 72? I'm not saying that at all. If you are a leader in any capacity in your life, you should try to be an answer to the prayer that David prays in Psalm 72. I mean, you should try to be a person who leads with justice, being fair in the way you lead people, paying special attention to people that don't have much power. If you have a lot of power in your organization, you should take it on yourself to use that power on behalf of people who don't have much power. You should be a leader with with justice. Um, You should be a person who strives to make whoever you lead flourish. You should strive for the shalom of your family, of your company, of your school. That should be your goal as a leader. And I would say even dominion. You should be a person that says, God, entrust me with as much oversight as I can be a blessing to. Use my gifts. Help me pour out my life. Give me as much dominion as you want to give me, Lord. So yes, we should be people who live this way as leaders. And we should be people who pray for the leaders in our lives that they will live this way. We should join David in this prayer. But at the same time, we should realize that the leader that our heart is truly longing for cannot be found in any human being. And I really believe this is a universal emotion that God's given it to us, that we crave a leader who is wise and good and who will never disappoint us, who is worthy of our allegiance. And this psalm and so much other scripture is written to direct us to the perfect leader, to the true king. So I mentioned before, for centuries, both Jewish scholars and Christian scholars have looked at Psalm 72, and they've said, okay, on one level, this is obviously a prayer for the king of Israel, but on another level, we think this is what's called a messianic psalm, because some of the things that are prayed for could never be fulfilled by a human being. So obviously, this is pointing us to a greater king, a king who will endure as long as the sun and the moon in all generations. He's the king that we were ultimately made for, and I believe with all my heart that king is Jesus. Think with me for a minute about the things that David prayed for. He said, Lord, may the king rule with justice. When Jesus walked this earth, he was not impressed with material wealth. He was not impressed with social status. Jesus exposed the hypocrisy and the corruption of the religious leadership of his day. And can you think of a kind of person that Jesus seemed particularly drawn to? The sick, the poor, the socially marginalized, people who were weak in their society. More than any other leader who's ever lived, Jesus led with true mishpat, justice. The second thing that David prayed for is that the king would lead in such a way that would bring flourishing, shalom to people. Didn't Jesus bring that into the lives of everyone who followed him? Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have come so that people will have life, will have life abundantly and fully. Jesus taught people, when you're offended by someone, extend forgiveness to them over 700 times if you need to. And that approach to life that's characterized by grace and by forgiveness has brought shalom into so many relationships, so many marriages, so many families. And David prays thirdly that the king would rule with dominion. 
And you know, we hear about that for human leaders, we think about dominion, and we get a little scared, why? Because when human leaders are given too much power, it te- they tend to not handle it well. It tends to corrupt them, right? And Jesus is so different. So David prays for his son, may all the kings of the earth come and lick the dust before him. And now think about what Jesus did for us. Jesus essentially got into the dust for us and washed our feet and he served our needs and ultimately he poured out his life on a cross. Jesus is so different from any other kind of leader. When we hear about another leader saying, I want to have more dominion, we go, whoa, whoa, whoa. But think about the dominion of Jesus. Even today as we sit here, there are people in every nation of the earth that call Jesus Christ their king. I don't care what flags flying over their heads, the one that really has dominion of their hearts is Jesus. And the Bible says in Revelation 7 that there will be a day that every people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered around the throne, standing before the Lamb, the true king, because he is the one who has dominion. Every other king, every other kingdom will pass away. His dominion will never end. That's what this psalm is ultimately about. And therefore, listen, when the next Lance Armstrong happens, when the next Bill Cosby gets exposed, when the next Bill Hybels gets excused from his position of leadership, and I'm saying when, I'm not saying if, because it's going to happen, in your disappointment, would you catch yourself and go, of course humans disappoint, and would you let it build your, your, your longing for the true king? When a leader that you admire in your school or in your company does something stupid and selfish, and it's all over the news in your, in your sadness, would you remind yourself that it's not about that leader ultimately, it's about the true leader. Um, when the leader of your state or the leader of your nation or God forbid, the leader of your church does something stupid that disqualifies them, as you grieve that and as you pray for them, would you let it build your appetite for the true king who will truly last? When someone in your family, if someone in your family, if your own mother or father, if your own husband or wife does something unthinkable and you're dealing with separation and divorce and child custody and things like that, in your heartbreak, would you allow it to lead you to the only king who truly lasts? Um, I think sometimes the reason that we have such a hard time with showing grace toward people, with showing forgiveness toward people, is because we have looked at them as the Messiah. We've looked at them as our Savior, and they are not allowed to make any mistakes, right? And so there's no, there's no allowance for that in our, in our lives. And while we should hold our leaders to a high standard, remember there's only one leader who will never let you down. There's only one leader who will never fail you. Every human being has put in them by God this longing for a leader who is wise and good, who's worthy of our allegiance that we can follow without reservation. And I tell you today, that king is Jesus. And he is more amazing than we could ever imagine. And so today, as we close our service, let's close by remembering what our great king has done for us. Communion service, would you get ready? to service communion, and let's take a moment to prepare our hearts.